Time now for the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. And now, here she is, the smart, the sexy, the savvy, divine Miss C. And welcome to the show. Now today, I have a special guest back in the studio with me. And her name is Donna Bryan. And about a year and a half ago, her daughter Catherine was shot in the head by a man named William DeHayes. Catherine was pregnant at that time, and both she and her baby died. DeHayes was filmed stating he would never again own a gun, but unbelievably, DeHayes was never prosecuted and was recently arrested while shooting a gun in the air in the trailer park that he lives in while drunk. And yes, for that, he got arrested. Now, Donna spends every day online on social media trying to get people to sign her petitions and for the world to hear her story in the hopes of getting DeHayes arrested. We also have on the line private investigator Lisa Shoneman, who is assisting Donna. Now, I want to start, Donna, with you because I want to kind of go through the original story of what happened. So can you share that story? Yeah. My daughter and her husband were visiting DeHayes at his residence, and he was she was eating McDonald's, and he was showing her husband his gun collection, and the first two guns he checked but the third gun, he never checked the chamber uh, to see if there was any bullets in it. And he proceeded to twirl it around like a cowboy does. And the gun went off and struck my daughter in the head. And there were children there in the house uh, when it happened. And his then, at the time, girlfriend was there also. Um she was rushed to the hospital where um, she died along with her baby. Yeah, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. So so you, you lost her, and he never ended up being prosecuted. No. And, and why was that? Um, they said it was an accident, an accidental shooting. He was never arrested, detained, or charged. Um, he was never checked either. Um, he was on uh, methadone. I remember in the original story when we first when we first spoke on the last show, which is usually for heroin addiction, um, and on, supposedly on some type of painkillers for back problems. So part of the problem I have with the story that doesn't make sense to me is if somebody is on some type of narcotics and they're in, they have serious back pain. How are they slinging a gun? Because he said that that was his hobby, and I find that relatively bizarre. If you were that kind of pain, you couldn't possibly physically be able to sling a gun without being in pain. So something right there to me is not a matchup, but yet he went ahead and he did that, and in a house full of people where the, he didn't check the gun and it was loaded. It, is it, let me ask you, is it possible in, in your mind that he knew the gun was loaded and that maybe it was an intentional type thing or you know I know no one knows but that's the thought I think that comes to people's minds when they hear the story to be honest with you first of all methadone from what I understand now is also being used for pain okay not just for withdrawal addiction um methadone Lortabs of pain pills and Sonoma was the other one he was on um, and he took those 45 minutes before he killed her. Now, I'm not sure if he knew the gun was loaded or not because he has made statements that the last time he used the gun was 4th of July, which was uh, three weeks prior. He also claimed that he had cleaned the gun out. Now, from the people that have uh, spoken, um, gun experts uh, by gun experts, I mean, you know, gun store owners, they said the type of gun he had, if he cleaned it out, there would be no way he could miss the bullet right. that was in the gun. Now, I'll be honest, I don't know anything about guns other than that they are weapons and not toys. Um, so I really don't know if he knew it was loaded or not. Now, in, I don't know in Florida, I'm assuming you have to have the gun registered. Was it a registered gun? 
No, no, not that a would be a gun. question you could probably ask Lisa. That I don't know. Okay, well, Lisa is the private investigator. Lisa, I want to welcome you to the show. Tell me a little bit about how you became involved in assisting Donna. Uh, well, I was contacted um, through one of the people that Donna had reached out to. She has been on a plight uh, since her daughter passed to try to get some assistance and. She'd reached out to several different organizations and people, and through those people, they they found me, uh, someone that knew me and and knew my history of investigations that I've done. Um, I was actually with Pasco Sheriff's Office for 25 years, and in that 25 years, 15 of that, I specialized in uh, homicide investigations, cold cases, and this particular kind of thing. So... They contacted me and explained to me what was going on and asked me if I could possibly meet with her because it's kind of my expertise in my field. So I, I met with Donna, and she gave me everything and explained to me what happened, and that's how I got involved. Um, so I spoke to um, uh, Bill Peeler, who is the owner of the company I work for, Peeler Group International, and we both felt um, we had to... It, it, look into this and see what we could find out and see if there was a way that we could help her out and see if we could find out exactly what all the circumstances were surrounding what happened. Okay. Now, Donna, this was not prosecuted, and who, who did you go to to try and get this this case prosecuted? Uh, I've been to Brad King, Peter Magrino, Sheriff Nihas, Major Terry, Brendan Sheely from the FDLE. I've gone to the FBI. I've gone to Senator Wilton Simpson, um, Congressman Bill Arrakis, Congressman um, uh, Amanda Murphy. Um, you have a whole list of people that you've that you've been to. And what kind of response do you get back from these people that you've contacted? Uh, either no reply. Or um, the last thing I got from Brad King was um, he is not going to constantly review this case with every time I come across a new article of a case that's similar to my daughter's. Now, Brad King is the state prosecutor? He's the state attorney for okay. Hernando, and Peter Magrino was the... Uh, assistant state attorney who was the original prosecutor. Okay, and you've tried a number of times to get him to do something, but nothing's been done. Now, I recall you found other cases in case law where the situation was similar or not even quite as bad um, where those cases have been prosecuted. Can can you talk about that a little bit? Um, There was one that really stood out was the Eric Staten case, that happened in Tallahassee. Um, that happened two months after my daughter's, and um, there was a birthday party at this uh, particular residence, and Eric Staten was was drunk because it was a party, and he started doing cowboy tricks with the gun. The gun fell out of his hand, and it hit the concrete patio floor. It went off, and it killed his sister. He was charged with manslaughter. Jack Campbell, who is now running for state attorney in Tallahassee, prosecuted the case. And he got um, three years in jail and um, quite a bit of probation. And that was his finger was never on the trigger. So much less. Okay, so let me go back to, to Lisa. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that that case got prosecuted and Donna's did not? Well, here is where lies the problem. In that particular case, they were able to prove that he was intoxicated at the time, that he was handling the gun. In this particular case, what we're going to have to be able to supply is he was handling the gun in a reckless and and wanton manner, which is one of the requirements for manslaughter. Now, everybody listening is going to say the guy was playing with a gun. That's reckless and wanton, and I agree. But here is his claim. When he was twirling the gun, he says the gun did not go off at that time. 
he says that the gun went off when he was disengaging it. And that is part of the problem with it. He says he was disengaging the gun, allowing the hammer to go forward to place it back into the holster properly when the gun fired. That is where the fine line lays. Was it an accident? Was it a reckless endangerment in the manner? There is no proof that he was intoxicated to a point that made, or, or I should say that the state attorney doesn't feel that they have enough proof that he was intoxicated or his actions were a want, wantless, reckless endangerment. Okay, well, so what he, has, let me just jump in here for a second, though. Sure. But if he admitted that he took medication or methadone 45 minutes beforehand, that still affects your mind, sometimes worse than alcohol. So how could they not look at that as a contributing factor? Their statement in the reports were that he took the prescribed amount, that it wasn't an amount um, in his prescribed amount that would affect his um, judgment. They did not, from our understanding, have a, um, a toxicology report done that could check those levels, which is one of the things that we're checking because he was treated by the hospital afterwards because he um, was having an anxiety attack after the incident. So that's one of the things that we do want to check with the sheriff's office on. But from what we understand, when they interviewed him, they did not feel that he indicated that he was intoxicated or showed any signs of being impaired at the time. But that is one of the things we want to work with the sheriff's office on and have investigated. Um, Another thing that we want to look into is the trajectory uh, of the bullet. You know, did it go off when he, you know, allowed the hammer to go forward, or did it go off when he was twirling it? Because that makes a big difference. You know, if you're twirling the gun, that's a reckless thing when it goes off. He claims it misfired when he was placing the hammer forward. Um, did he act recklessly prior to this? Were there other incidents prior to her shooting where he was acting, acting in an endangered, um, reckless manner? Because he claims that this nothing like this had ever happened before, although here we are a year and a half later where he's out in a mobile home park shooting off a shotgun drunk with a 16-year-old in tow. Right. So it sounds like he actually has a pattern and he's setting himself up in that pattern. And when it comes well, to possible, yeah. Yeah, when it comes to disengaging the gun, you would not be disengaging a gun at that height of a person. Most people would be disengaging it either down or at an angle heading down. So that's one of the things that we're looking into because she was in a sitting position, he was in a standing position. So one of the things that we we are looking into, we do have firearms experts that work for our company. And one of the things that we are uh, looking into as part of our investigation is that we want to check that. We want to check the trajectory. We want to check, is it possible for it to have happened, like you said? And, And in our investigation, we are trying to reach out to people that may have seen him acting recklessly before, have them come forward, because if he has done this before this incident happened as well as after, that could greatly play in the state attorney's. Um, mind, you know, as far as their prosecution. Because what they based their findings on was simply what they were presented with. The sheriff's office presented them with what they had, but they may not have everything. So what we're trying to do is find out all the facts. You know, if he had been acting recklessly before, they may not be aware of that. And also as far as the trajectory or the fact that just because he said it went off when he placed the hammer forward, that may not indeed be the facts. We want to look into that a little bit further because the gun was inspected by the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. They said that it was working properly. It did not misfire. The gun was engaged. So either he let the hammer fly forward, which caused it to fire, which it's still a little bit hard to understand the trajectory of the bullet, how it could have struck her where it did, or it went off when he was twirling it and he actually pulled the trigger by mistake because he lost control of the gun. Okay. Is it possible to, you know, you watch all those uh, forensic shows. Is it possible to reenact what he is claiming happened to see what would actually happen? Yes, it is. And that's the one, one of the things that we want to look into doing. But, again, and it's things that take time that we have to go through the firearms experts with. 
and we do have to work in conjunction with the Hernandez Sheriff's Office and with the State Attorney's Office and, and, and the Florida Department of Law Enforcement in order to do that. And, you know, if we do find that indeed by doing all of those things that his account of what happened is impossible, then I'm sure that the state attorney would um, reconsider filing charges. Okay, don't go anywhere. I want to talk more about this, but we're going to take a short break. So we'll be back in just a moment. Central Payment, your number one credit card merchant service provider in the industry. Providing e-commerce solutions, POS systems, standalone terminals, mobile apps, and much more. Call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. Looking for the lowest rates in the industry and number one customer service? Call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. That's James Carner, 813-777-4332. Do you suffer from back, neck, or body pain? Do you suffer from migraines or have jaw or face pain? Has conventional medicine failed you? Were you injured or in an accident? Call chiropractic physician Dr. Dan Maddock at 813-935-1664. Dr. Dan has helped thousands of patients gain relief for more than 30 years. Dr. Dan is caring, gentle, and takes his time with each patient. He's also a past president of the International Craniopathic Society, a special certification of only 300 chiropractors worldwide. Dr. Dan helps patients from the neck up and the neck down. Dr. Dan accepts most insurance plans. Don't continue to live in pain. Call 813-935-1664. 1664 today. That's 813-935-1664 and get on track to better health. Are you looking for an affordable way to advertise to thousands of consumers nationally? If you own a business and didn't think you could afford radio advertising, you need to call me, Lori Zook, host of the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. My show reaches thousands of people on 29 AM and FM stations nationwide as well as through the internet. Additionally, your commercials will also be heard on all of my podcasts and throughout social media sites. Don't wait another minute. Call me at 813-777-4908. 813-777-4908. And let me bring your message to the nation and to help you gain more exposure. And welcome back to the world of Lori Zook. My guests today, Donna Bryan and Lisa, Lisa Shoneman, and we've been talking about what happened to Donna Bryan's daughter and her unborn child when, when she was shot and killed by a man named William DeHayes. So uh, let me go back to, to Lisa. Can you talk a little bit about what happened with uh, – because you mentioned briefly that DeHayes was recently arrested. Uh, he was shooting a gun off in the trailer park. Can you tell us what happened in that story? Yes, from my understanding, he was intoxicated. He was walking around a public um, mobile home park, and he was discharging a loaded shotgun while in the company of a 16-year-old child. Okay. Now, is there any significance that there was a 16-year-old child because she's a minor? Does oh, absolutely. That... Okay. Absolutely. You have a child um, in the presence. I mean, we already have a uh, pregnant woman um, who was killed during an incident. Now you have an intoxicated man in a public place discharging a firearm. Not only where innocent people could be harmed, but you also have a child in close proximity of a firearm while an intoxicated person is discharging it. Okay. Now, in the original, in the story with what happened to Donna's daughter, there were other family members there um, on DeHay's side, but I'm assuming that some of them saw it, but what did they all did they all say anything did anything happen with any of did they all basically agree with de hayes one one of the children did say the same thing that de hayes did that um he had been twirling the gun stopped twirling the gun was releasing the hammer back into its original position when it fired the uh wife of de hayes christine said that the gun just uh, fired while he was twirling it. 
unfortunately, everybody else that was present did not see the actual uh, firing of the gun. They heard it, but they didn't actually see what happened at the time that it fired. Okay. Now, Donna, do you want to add anything to that? Um, what What did you hear? Well, I, I heard that, too, that... Um I'm just in a whirlwind. I mean, I know you've had a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on since just, since this time. So, you, how did you find out that he, that DeHaze was arrested when he was drunk recently and fired the show? How did you find that out? I found out through one of my media friends. Um, they told me that he had been arrested, and at first I, I was like, "Are you kidding me?" He said, "No." So I did look it up um, at the clerk's office, and I did see he had been arrested. And originally, he was only being charged with one charge. However, when we went to court, um, the state attorney was charging him with two charges. And um, I was very surprised at that they were getting him on two charges. But I did read the police report or the sheriff's report, and I don't think they were very pleased. Right. Well, I I know I, I saw when you were on TV recently on one of the news channels... They showed uh, DeHaze being interviewed by, by a police investigator where he said he would never again own a gun. And yet this has now happened a second time where somebody could have been shot and killed, maybe that 16-year-old that was with him or maybe some of the people that were in the trailer park home. So let me go back to Lisa. We were talking a little bit about setting a pattern. So I'm assuming you're trying to find people who knew DeHaye's before anything even happened with, with Donna's daughter to see if there's some type of a pattern. But it's almost like it's too late. It's, it's the reason stop signs are put up. Stop signs are put up after people are killed, not when the, the people in the town say, we need a stop sign or we need a, a, a stoplight at the intersection because there's a lot of accidents there. They wait until it's too late. Somebody's gone. That somebody who's gone belonged to a family. So what do you do? Well, and here lies the problem, and I do understand where the dilemma is. I mean, the sheriff's office did refer the case to the state attorney's office. I mean, Donna said he was never charged. He wasn't charged, but charges were referred to the state attorney's office what does that on mean? the original case. Okay. What it means is when you have somebody that commits a crime, you have two choices. You can make an arrest or you can refer the charges to the state attorney's office to concert, consider filing charges, okay. which is not uncommon, especially when you're talking about a murder charge of any type. Matter of fact, most times, especially here in the state of Florida, you don't make a direct arrest on a murder charge unless that person is uh, smoking gun, uh, mainly saying, yes, I did it. You know, I mean, everything's very clear cut. There's no question. Um, you refer charges to the state attorney to make sure that everything is what it appears to be. They have everything they need to do to move forward. That is pretty much how everybody does it in Florida, just because it's an extremely serious charge, and that's how most state attorneys prefer it. They prefer the charges be referred. So what happens is they they build their case, they send it to the state attorney's office, the state attorney's office reviews it to make sure that everything is there that meets the burden of proof, that they have a case that they can take forward to a jury trial and to a jury trial that they can get a conviction on the person for the charge that they are being charged for. And basically what the state attorney is saying is, based on the case that's presented and the evidence that they have, it doesn't support the evidence that they have and everything that they know at this point. Based on that, they don't have enough to say that it was manslaughter, that it doesn't show the wantless endangerment because they can't prove he was intoxicated. They can't prove that he was under the influence of the narcotics and medication. They can't prove that he had been acting dangerously prior, um, you know, that kind of stuff. They need a little more meat and potatoes, to put it plainly, okay, okay in order to show that behavior. Um, but I'm saying if there's more there, 
if he has shown this behavior before, if he had acted recklessly before, if there was neighbors that saw him maybe drunk out in the yard shooting off the gun before, if people had shown him doing this cowboy move, as he called it before, um, if he did it, you know, if he had done those things. And, you know, his pattern leads me to believe he, he probably did, especially since after he killed somebody, he's out there doing something stupid with a gun again. If you do something stupid and somebody dies and then you do it again, I have to believe you probably did it before, too. So it's hard for me to believe he didn't do it before. And if we have witnesses to come forward and say that and we could provide those to the state attorney along with the forensics that we're looking into, those things could be enough working together with the state attorney and the sheriff's office that would provide the state attorney enough to be able to file charges and move forward with prosecution. Okay, so that leads me to a couple of questions, but let, let, let's start with, did DeHaze have any type of prior record at all, or was he ever arrested no. for anything at all? Nothing at all. No. And he's not that, he's no. what, in his 30s? Yeah. Okay, how do you, and I don't know if you can answer this on, on the show, but how do you investigate um, somebody to find out if there were prior incidences like this where maybe it, hadn't been, it wasn't reported? You try to talk to people. You know, we've um, actually, uh, during the the news thing when we went to the courthouse, you know, I did give a statement. I asked if there was anybody that knew these incidents to please come forward. We opened up a tip line um, through our website with Peeler Group International. We posted it um, on Facebook. Uh, I believe Donna also posted it on her website that she has. The uh, local news posted it on their website. I contacted people um, um, to try to get, see if anybody had any information. Some people talked to me, some refused to talk to me. That's why, you know, we're, we're speaking with you. I mean, if there is people out there that are aware, please get involved. Unfortunately, you know, in my career, I've had so many people go, well, you know, I really don't want to get involved. It's none of my business. Well, it may not be any of your business, but it could have been your child. It could have been your grandchild. If you can live with that, you're a better person than I am because this woman's suffering. This woman's grandchild that's still here is suffering every day without his mother. If you're aware of this guy doing these things, please come forward. Please help end her suffering. Please help her get, you know, her daughter justice that she deserves. I mean, if he didn't do it, okay. But if he did and you're aware of it, come forward. Help her get her daughter justice. It's the right thing to do. Exactly. Now, Donna, I want to go back to you because we actually met through social media. You had posted on a group on Facebook that I happened to be on, and so I saw it come through my news feed, and there I'm, you know, I'm looking. Okay, so I'm looking through the Facebook feed, and I see your story. So now I'm, I'm reading your story, and I'm going, oh, my gosh, like how – this is the worst thing. It, it just – it put a pit in my stomach and my heart because my heart sank basically when I read the story. And that's what kind of made me reach out to you to say, I can't believe this. And so while I understand what Lisa is saying, it has to do with the law. Here's where Lori has the problem. There's morals and ethics and there's the law. And so the moral part of me says, do the, you know, do the right thing. But I understand that the law might not agree with that. And that's where I have that, that problem. It, it, to me, it should be the same thing. You live good or you live bad. You live right or you live wrong. But tell me a little bit about how social media, how you've used it, and what has happened for you as a result of, of using social media. Oh, social media has been really awesome mm-hmm. for me because I have met so many different people. Um, and I've gotten a lot of signatures on my petition. People have signed it after they've read it. Um, and I didn't just put in my petition how I felt or what I felt. I made sure that I had the law, the statutes, everything in the petition. So, And if people didn't want to believe what I was saying, they could look it up themselves. Um, in a way, you became like your own lawyer. You looked up all the cases because well, you yes, didn't have I a have. Yeah, I have. I had, in the beginning, I had somebody helping me out with it. She was an attorney, a former prosecutor, uh, a former PBA lawyer, and also a uh, weapons expert. And she was helping me in the beginning. 
Um, so she helped me devise some letters, and she tell me what to put in and what to take out and what statutes to put in. And um, I missed one or two, so she got me those to put in there. And um, then I just started doing research because I did take five years of law before I quit. And one of the ones I did take was legal research and writing. And uh, the judge at the time that was my law professor was a stickler. Uh, So I learned how to research the law and cases and all those things. And every time I brought up a case that is similar to my daughter's case, and then I go and speak to somebody higher up, I'm told that it is prosecutorial, prosecutorial discretion. Meaning it's up to the prosecutor to Correct. make the decision. He decides who gets prosecuted and who doesn't. Why do you think that Brad King decided not to if he has that authority? Do you think that it all – I'm going to give you my guess. It almost seems like he didn't do it, but now you've got a second incident of something happens. And I'm wondering morally if maybe he's thinking to himself, maybe I made the wrong decision, but I can't admit it to the public. And so far – so I have to stick to my original decision. And that, that would be my gut instinct because it's hard for most people to say when they've made a mistake. And so if you can't come clean – and say, you know what, maybe I just didn't make the right decision then. But look, now a second incident has happened where somebody could have gotten killed, which then leads me to believe if it's possibly setting up a pattern, the third time will be where somebody gets killed again and maybe more than one person. Well, that's why I stepped up, Lori, because he did kill my daughter and he did kill my grandson. And indirectly, he killed my granddaughter. I decided to step up because I'm petrified he's going to kill somebody else. And yeah, this is a guy who got married the day after uh, he killed your daughter, correct? He got no, ma- he got he married, married the day after this, the assistant state attorney said they weren't going to prosecute. Now, okay. I know this because December 12th was my wedding anniversary, and that was the day I had to go see Peter Magrino. And I had everything... All in one one sock, I even offered to do the case for him. Uh, I told him, because the law is nothing more than uh, presentation and interpretation. Okay. And it's like you have to win over the jury by what you're saying besides proving it. And, of course, you know, he, uh, he just handed me a gl- glass of water. Um. I mean, I do know what I'm talking about. I do know. I never put anything out there that I don't have a licensed attorney review. Right. You're uh, doing the research like a, like a legal assistant, so to speak. Right. And then you're having somebody review it. I want you to hold your thought. We're going to go to a short commercial break. We'll be back in just a moment. Central Payment, your number one credit card merchant service provider in the industry. Providing e-commerce solutions, POS systems, standalone terminals, mobile apps, and much more, call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. Looking for the lowest rates in the industry and number one customer service? Call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. That's James Carner, 813-777-4332. Three three two. Do you suffer from back, neck, or body pain? Do you suffer from migraines or have jaw or face pain? Has conventional medicine failed you? Were you injured or in an accident? Call chiropractic physician Dr. Dan Maddock at 813-935-1664. Dr. Dan has helped thousands of patients gain relief for more than 30 years. Dr. Dan is caring, gentle, and takes his time with each patient. He's also a past president of the International Craniopathic Society, a special certification of only 300 chiropractors worldwide. Dr. Dan helps patients from the neck up and the neck down. Dr. Dan accepts most insurance plans. Don't continue to live in pain. Call 
813-935-1664 today. That's 813-935-1664. And get on track to better health. Are you looking for an affordable way to advertise to thousands of consumers nationally? If you own a business and didn't think you could afford radio advertising, you need to call me, Lori Zook, host of the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. My show reaches thousands of people on 29 AM and FM stations nationwide, as well as through the Internet. Additionally, your commercials will also be heard on all of my podcasts and throughout social media sites. Don't wait another minute. Call me at 813-777-4908. 813-777-4908. And let me bring your message to the nation and to help you gain more exposure. Welcome back here on the world of Lori Zook. I've got Donna Bryan with me and Lisa Shoneman, who's a private investigator. And I want to come back in the segment, Donna. You you were talking about basically you're a legal assistant. You look up the laws to anything that you post, and you have somebody review. So then you do what? You have petitions. Yes. Okay. So what is what's the petition trying to do? Well, it's trying to get enough signatures to hopefully get the governor and or Brad King, to reopen the case and reinvestigate the case, um, get more information. Okay, and do you need a certain number of signatures for that to happen, and how close are you? Honestly, I don't know how many signatures I actually need, um, but I've just been letting it go and build up. But now I have also, I have uh, the Coalition Against Gun Violence. They are now involved. Um, and they started the petition on their website, and within a day and a half, they had over 5,000 signatures. And mine is close to 15,000. Okay, so that's a, that's a lot of signatures. So you're, you're doing this all through social media. Do you, do you use other social media besides the petitions? And I, obviously Facebook because I see your postings. You know, we're, we're friends on Facebook, but I see the postings all the time. Do you use other types of social media I as use well? Twitter. Twitter. Okay. And I also use LinkedIn. And how have those helped you? Well, I've met a lot of judges and attorneys on LinkedIn. Oh, that's a good thing then, right? Yeah, because um, that's more or less a professional website. So I've met a lot of judges and attorneys on that site. And Twitter, I've met, um, I had Sinbad. Sinbad retweeted my petition. The comedian? Yes. Oh, my gosh. He retweeted my petition. Um, there's a singer, uh, Demi Lovato. Okay. She's a pop singer, rapper, whatever you call that. And them. she did the same thing. She also retweeted. So people are helping you. With retweeting with, with, the petition and getting signatures. Gotcha. For me. So um, it really has helped the social media. Now, Lisa, for working as the private investigator, do, does your, your firm have – its own site did you mention earlier you have where you can also do the same thing and you're just hoping that the power of so many people seeing the story and reading the story won't just help her with signatures but also maybe somebody will come forward from from a prior offense yes that's what we're hoping for we uh posted the interview that we did from the courthouse we put up a website uh where people could uh, do uh, tips for it uh, we actually got over 8,000 hits ourselves on that. But unfortunately, uh, so far we've not gotten any responses with any uh, witnesses. I think it's a matter of time and also hitting the, the TV media as well. Now, I know Don has been on TV a number of times. Um, and, right. I, yep, and I believe Lee here in the station, station manager, he had a question. Thanks. Um, I, I'm not sure I'm the station manager. Well, we'll call you that because you're my station manager, yes. Uh, Anybody at WTIN, I have not officially been (laughs) named station manager, nor do I consider myself that, just so you know. Um, I was just curious about this whole uh, scenario that's going on here, and um, I guess I don't don't want to sound insensitive or anything because my heart goes out to you, believe me, but it just, it, it occurred to me, how old was your daughter when, when she was 25 25 okay so you're dealing with adults here she was newly married she was only married for six months to, to carson yeah. hoover and uh she 
Carson, Car- DeHaze, William DeHaze was friends with Car- with her right. daughter. William DeHaze was friends with Carson. They used to work together. And then DeHaze got laid off or he got hurt on the job. And uh, they hadn't talked for several years. And then all of a sudden, out of the clear blue, um, they started talking. And um, DeHaze invited him over to see his gun collection. Mm, yeah. And um, Carson wanted to go. And my daughter, who, being newly married, wanted to please her husband, um, went. Because that day they were supposed to be doing the nursery. Uh, for Rayland, and um, they went, and he told them that it was dinner time, so they left, and they went and got something to eat, because being pregnant, most pregnant women are always hungry, and um, they got McDonald's, they brought it back, she asked to use the bathroom, and Carson and William stayed outside talking, and he let her in to use the bathroom, and then I guess she was told she could sit at the table to eat her dinner. And she was eating her McDonald's when um, she was killed. And what was this, what, were they outdoors or indoors? Indoors. Okay. So how how far away was she from from the uh, shooter? Honestly, I don't know. Um, I a didn't, couple of feet. Yeah, maybe a couple. Okay. Very close by. So you said that the bullet entered through the temple, right? Yes. So I'm thinking maybe she wasn't looking directly at him when this happened, or she wasn't. No, she, was, attention she wasn't looking was at him. She was eating her food. She was eating, minding her own business, so to speak, and all of a sudden... Yeah, well, you have to know my daughter, Catherine, when she's pregnant, she can eat, yeah. let me tell you, especially yeah. for a boy. Well, I'm the same way, you know, and I'm not pregnant, and I just, I eat a lot anyway. Well, you know? for her... Can I make a correction to you guys on that? Sure, sure. Um, the bullet actually entered in her left eye and traveled upwards and lodged in the top of her head. It did not enter her temple. So it wasn't going down, it was going up. Oh. Correct. But I don't it entered th- into her eye, her left eye, and then lodged in the top of her head. How, uh, I, I can't picture how that could, how that, how could that happen? Can you describe how that possibly could happen? That is something that we're looking into. Okay. That was that was what I was explaining this, earlier why we right. have some firearm experts looking into it because it doesn't make any sense to us either. Especially he was standing across from her from the kitchen table and was twirling this gun. He says he stopped twirling the gun, put the hammer forward when the gun went off because he was going to holster it when it fired. But yet the bullet was traveling upwards entered her left eye, traveled in an upward motion, and lodged in the top of her head. And, and was he facing her? Because I could only yes, see that. Was. See, I could only see that working if he w- was not facing her and slinging it. And as it came down and up and under, it would be going upwards. But if he was... Well, if it was in a twirling motion, yeah. if the gun was twirling, it could have fired, entered, and gone up. But if he was uncocking it as he was saying that we're kind of having a hard time with that's why we believe that having it sent to a firearms expert having a trajectory test done uh could be very very valuable because it just doesn't make any sense to me i've done several of those i've had experts do several of those i'm not saying it's impossible i'm just having a hard time seeing it I've reconstructed crime scenes many times, and right now I'm having a hard time understanding how the bullet traveled that way, and I would uh, like to see experts do that. That's something that we want to address with the Hernanda County Sheriff's Office, FDLE, and then bring forward to the state attorney, and we are in the process of trying to do that. Would, would, would he have had any motive to want to shoot her? No, I, you know, honestly, everything that I know, I, I do not believe that this was an intentional shooting. Okay. But I do believe that it was very reckless. Yeah. On his, uh, if you're twirling a gun that you have not checked to make sure that it is safe. Number one, you don't twirl a gun. I don't care if it's empty no. or not with a room full of people. Right. That in itself to me is just 
stupid. It's stupid. Okay. Right. If you've taken- you got a bunch of kids sitting around, you have a bunch of innocent people sitting around, and you're twirling again, period. Unloaded or not, to me, it's just stupid. But to do it without even checking it to see if it's unloaded, it's just, yeah. I, I just can't even imagine. And the worst part of that whole part of that is he talks about in his statement, even in the press, several times he says, I knew better. He says several times, I checked the other guns to make sure they were unloaded. I understand gun safety. So, so Lisa, You understand gun safety, but yet you twirled a gun, cocked it, uncocked it, without checking to see if it was loaded. Right, and then, you, and then you went out into the public a year and a half later in, 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 a, in a trailer park right outside and was shooting a gun up in the air, which could have killed someone. But what, what happens... After you already killed someone. Yeah, but you know? what, let me ask you, what happens if you're able to prove that the he could not have possibly done it the way he said, and it, it's, you know, your, your facts show it was not possible that way. What then happens? Is it is it too late for Donna to get justice if you're able to prove that it couldn't have happened that way and it was reckless endangerment? Is there still a chance that, that he can go to jail? Oh, the state attorney could at any time file charges. I've had cases of uh, murder be charged 30 years later. You know, at any point in time, he can be charged for uh, what he did to her. The point is, is you have to prove the act. So if there is new evidence brought forward that it was not what he said happened, then the state attorney can reevaluate it. And that's all we're trying to do. We're not trying to blame anybody for anything that happened. We're not trying to say that they didn't present the facts that they had. What we're trying to do is find facts that maybe they weren't aware of. If there were witnesses that they weren't aware of, find those, bring them forward. If there were facts that maybe he wasn't being honest about what actually happened that day and that he was actually twirling that gun when it fired, if we can show that by doing a trajectory test and by talking to firearms experts, we're hoping to bring those facts to the uh, state attorney and to the sheriff's office and let them present them to the state attorney and let him reevaluate it. Could the state attorney then change his mind and file charges? Yes, it could. Okay. Well, that's at least good to hear. So it's an ongoing investigation. Right. Okay. Now, now, Donna, what's happening now? Because your daughter had, had another child, your, your grandson, correct? And how does he handle that? Because I do see some of your postings on Facebook. And for me, that's emotional because I know the story. Well, he, he's getting <clears> – excuse me. He has gotten better. Um, he's still in counseling and, um, he still has his outbursts, like. He knows the story. He knows what happened. He knows what happened. He's a very smart little boy, very smart. And he keeps telling me that when he grows up, he's going to kill the man that killed his mommy. So and he's I, angry. He's very angry, and I've told him that's not his job. That's my job to take care of, and he doesn't have to worry about it. Right. That I am doing everything I can. But he misses her. Um, he misses his stepbrother. He had a stepbrother. He misses him. Um, he was all excited that she was going to give him a brother because I guess he thought the baby was going to come out his size or something. Right, right. You know, so he misses his brother and he misses his stepbrother. Um, and I'm trying everything in my power to give him a normal life. Right. You take him to the zoo. I, I've seen some of your posts. So you're doing the best you can with him. And that's got to be really, you know, uh, the toughest part of it is, is you're reliving it every day, not just because it happened to your daughter, but because you have a grandson, grandson who sees and you have to kind of take away the anger when you're angry yourself. So I, I, that's, I think, a hard thing to live with. Um, what I want to ask both of you, and first let me thank you both for being on the show. Lisa, how can people get a hold of you if they have a tip or they you know, want to contact you, maybe some little piece of information? How do they get a hold of you? Uh, there's two ways. They can either um, 
call um, my office at 727-233-6538, or they can find our website at www.peelergroup.com. Great. Thank you. And Donna, if you, how, do, how can people reach you? Um, they can go to my Facebook page. Right, Donna Bryan, B-R-Y-A-N, and find that. And you're on, I think it's change.org? Change.org, correct. Peti- petition. petition. And what is the petition titled in case somebody wants to sign it? Um, I think they could just search out Catherine yeah, Hoover, they, correct? they can put Catherine Hoover in. Um, I haven't updated it, but I think uh, the way people have been finding it is... Uh, Brad King gives free pass to Baby Killer. Okay, and that if they Google that, I think it comes right right up. Correct. Good. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much. I hope you'll both stay in touch with me, or at least Lisa through Donna. Let me know what happens so that we can do updates on the story. Uh, hopefully, get some justice for what for what happened. So again, thank you both for joining me, and you'll listen to us again next week on the World of Lori Zook. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Are you looking for an affordable way to advertise to thousands of consumers nationally? If you own a business and didn't think you could afford radio advertising, you need to call me, Lori Zook, host of the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. My show reaches thousands of people on 29 AM and FM stations nationwide, as well as through the Internet. Additionally, your commercials will also be heard on all of my podcasts and throughout social media sites. Don't wait another minute. Call me at 813-777-4908, 813-777-4908, and let me bring your message to the nation and to help you gain more exposure.